Hello and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. We are an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class, a society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for an elite few. Renegade Paradise is a news, commentary, and educational platform based on socialist analysis from activists on the ground here in the Lowcountry. By sharing a socialist perspective with the world, and by lifting up the voices of our allies and comrades, we hope to create a space for folks in this part of the country looking to deepen their understanding of leftist politics, but who might not know where to start. Members of the Charleston Democratic Socialists of America come from a broad, diverse set of backgrounds and tendencies within the spectrum of the left. What unites us is one common goal, to build a different world, a better world. I'm Alfred Peeler. Tonight we bring you the first of two episodes looking at American immigration policy through a socialist lens. In part two, we are going to be giving some criticisms of ICE and America's approach to immigration in general. We will also be offering a socialist critique of borders themselves by looking at the concept of border imperialism. Tonight, in the first part, we are pleased to be joined by Fernando Soto, a local immigrant rights activist and founder of Recursos Estatales, a local Spanish language news outlet. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for having me. All right. Um, so I thought that we would begin maybe by you just giving us some background on who you are and what your news outlet's about. Yeah. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me here uh, and inviting me to uh, to share some thoughts on immigration. Um, I am a Mexican-born uh, Charleston native. I like to say I've been here all my life, so I grew up here in Charleston. Um, and through my experiences, I've been able to uh, get more involved in my community. I'm at a place of uh, a little bit of more privilege to where I can make, um, you know, some action happen. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make that useful. So I started this website, Recursos Estatales. Um, it's just local Spanish news, but also a resource page uh, for immigrants and Latinos here in the state of South Carolina so that they can connect to uh, services that they might need that cater to the Latino population. Um, and then la lately in the last couple of months, I've been getting involved in more activism uh, due to the crisis that we are facing across the country. Um, in terms of immigration and, and specifically uh, the children who are being hurt the mm -hmm. most. Right on. Um, and we'll be sure to put a link to your um, website in our description for awesome. this podcast. Um, yeah, so there's so much to talk about with this. I thought maybe we could begin by sort of broadly looking at one of the things we do a lot on Renegade Paradise is we offer sort of leftist socialist analysis. We want to offer criticisms of ICE. We want to offer theory on immigration policy mm -hmm. and so on. But there's a tendency when you do this to lose sight of the individual people who are suffering, people who are targets of ICE, whether they're individuals or families who are in these concentration camps right now or right. individuals who are just sort of in like political limbo in Mexico, like Central Americans who have made it all the way to the border but, you know, can't get through the border because CBP right. won't allow them to claim asylum. Um, or individuals in this country who, you know, don't know if today is the last day they're going to drop their kids off at school and then be picked up by an unmarked van and just never see anybody in their community, none of their friends or family again. Right. And so could you talk a little bit about just the importance of not losing sight of these personal narratives when we're talking about something so big as like immigration policy. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most important things that people need to keep in mind, people who aren't experiencing these hardships, is that, you know, as angered and whatever feeling you might be having at the moment and whatever your reaction is to the 24-hour news cycle, um, what we're dealing with are people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, so aside from, you know, the, the political rhetoric that is being pushed around, um, and people's lives are at stake. Um, these rallies and, 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 you know, actions, calls to action just shouldn't just end on that day. Mm -hmm. um, it shouldn't just be something to make you feel good. And then you call it a day, you're like, oh, I, you know, made this hashtag trend or whatever. Um, but really, you just have to continue to fight. I mean, people are still uh, being separated uh, families are still being separated. Children are still being um, detained in cages in very inhumane conditions. 
And uh, a lot of times people don't care to think about immigration away from the border. You know, we, we're in South Carolina. Right. We're far, far away from the border. Uh, and yet this is something that affects our, our local communities here um, in a number of ways that people don't normally think about. It, it really impacts the economy uh, of our cities, of our towns. And ultimately, it's a domino effect. Uh, to other industries, you know, from construction to food and beverage, mm -hmm. laboring, whatever the, the industry might be where uh, jobs are, are in high demand, but the supply is scarce because Americans aren't willing to take those jobs. You know, immigrants are there to fill them in and make it happen. Yeah, I'm, uh, it kind of blows me away. So on every Sunday morning right now, DSA, um, Charleston DSA is, part, is participating in like a national DSA campaign to advocate for Medicare for all. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that we do is we go out to the flea market. Um, I go out there every Sunday and I table for four hours talking to people about what's, the, in, the, what's in the Senate bill because most people don't know. You watch the news to find out what's in those bills. Right. You're not going to know what's in those bills. And one of the things that strikes me the most, the two things is the first is that people who are hostile towards these bills, <coughs> excuse me, they don't know what's in them. But the second thing I found is that a lot of the times, once people find out that undocumented immigrants can go to the doctor too, if, a me if like Bernie Sanders' Medicare for all bill is passed, sure, yeah. then that just, that's the end of it for a lot of people. There's something about the idea that people who are undocumented don't even deserve to be able to go to the doctor right. when they're sick. And that just indicates some very serious separation from how we like engage with people face to face and day to day. It's like uh, undocumented immigrants aren't even thought of as like humans who need the things that every other human thinks they're they like, and this ties in, I guess, with a lot of the language, the sort of like insect language, criminal language, yeah. like that sort of thing that's used. And I think you, you bring up a point, um, especially here in the South, I, I grew up in the South. So, um, luckily for me, I've been able to experience two very different cultures and kind of mesh them in my own way. Um, and something that, you know, has stuck with me my entire life are people who were born and raised in the South and their families have been here for generations who always try to separate me uh, from the rest of my people. You know, they're like, oh, I understand you're, you're Mexican and, and you came here as an immigrant, but like, you're not like them. You're not a real Mexican. Right. I'm know. not a real Mexican. For the longest, I used to always say, I'm too Mexican to be American and too American to be Mexican. Um, and so, yes, people always separate this issue. There's this idea that, you know, people are here to steal jobs. Nobody's here to steal anyone's job. Um, and I think that really angers people and it goes, you know, toward, toward the topic of healthcare, um, where Americans who are anti-immigration think that immigrants come here for the hand-me-downs and all of this aren't exploiting the welfare system. And they don't really even understand how, you know, welfare works. Right. Uh, yeah. I am an immigrant. I, uh, my current legal status allows me to work here in the United States and it grants me a driver's license and I pay about $175, $200 a week into taxes out of my paycheck. And um, I don't have access or the right to healthcare. Uh, my college was paid completely out of pocket because I can't apply for federal aid. So uh, to those people that, that have that mentality, um, it's just completely false. You know, you talk about a false narrative, that's a false narrative. People are here to work and we're willing to do what it takes to be hard workers, to earn uh, whatever little or much income we can so that we can survive and we can continue to thrive uh, in, the, in a country that we see uh, now as home. One of the things that I think too about these false narratives is just how false they are, like how obviously false they are. So yeah. like it doesn't take long to look at um, the, the way that society apportions welfare to realize that if you're undocumented, you don't get any of that. Um, right, at all. It's the same sort of thing with like the criminality or the sorts of reasons that Trump would give us for building a wall to prevent drugs from coming over. Like it doesn't take but a little bit of time to realize that all of this is just demonstrably bullshit. And it's illogical. Yeah. It doesn't even make sense, but it works. And that's really scary because it's people are just, it seems like this would mean that people are just looking for a way to continue to separate themselves from undocumented immigrants. Right. And 
and it's happened throughout the entire American history. I spent five years in Alabama, that's where I went to college. And there I saw it kind of for the first time and like firsthand experience is where I experienced um, racism towards uh, Hispanics towards myself. Uh, mostly I think because Charleston kind of sheltered me from a lot of things. People here don't really talk about, you know, race and we're just this cute little southern town that makes the top number one list every yeah. year in the middle of south carolina the right state. Yeah. and so i never really got to to be exposed about that to talk about my my feelings i just kind of played with it as a child once i went off to college Alabama was a completely different ball game and what's interesting is that people make themselves believe that they are better even if they are not doing great you know economically uh, Alabama ranks very low in education and, and mm -hmm. very low in healthcare, um, and it's always interesting when I hear, you know, hardcore conservatives or far right people tell me, uh, "Well, they they should take care of American citizens first. Well, don't you think that a deep red state like Alabama, who has voted a Republicans <laughs> yeah. time and time again, will be thriving uh, because yeah. of their policies? What they're doing is they're keeping people uneducated. They're keeping people poor." so that they can feed them all of this nonsense, these false narratives, mm -hmm. and that empowers these people, you know, because once you feel like someone else is coming in and taking what you have a right to, uh, I mean, that really does anger people, and that's what is fueling all of this nastiness that we're seeing that has had, you know, atrocious consequences over the last uh, couple of days in the news cycle. We've been talking about El Paso. Somebody yeah. drove hours took the time to drive to El Paso uh, to massacre Hispanics specifically. Yeah. And that sort of shit seems normal almost uh, to like a lot of people in this country. You know, like I, 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 my wife heard that there was a mass shooting at night before we were going to bed. The next morning she told me there was another one. And I didn't even look at, I didn't even know that they were like white supremacist motivated. You kind of just like assume at this point that that's what they are. Right. But, um, you know, when I heard that, it did, I didn't even cross my mind to immediately pull out my phone and read about it because it's like I'm always hearing about it. Right. Um, it's like, oh, another one. Yeah. I want to go back and just agree with what you were saying about how this is nothing new to American history. This is the way white supremacy has always functioned. Mm -hmm. White supremacy serves a role where it can be used as a tool to get working class white folks to not identify with other people who share their same... Uh, like needs and wants, like other working class people, xenophobia mm -hmm. and white supremacy, it, it just gets in the way of any like organized, uh, larger like solidarity movement among like working people, poor people and marginalized communities. And right. um, we see this, like I was saying, at the flea market with Medicare for all, there's, there shouldn't be any surprise that this is coming up as something that gets in the way of people who would genuinely benefit from a Medicare for all system don't want it because it helps undocumented immigrants. Right. Know? And they think that it's probably going to cost a fortune. When in reality, you know, when you talk about fiscal responsibility, like mm -hmm. the Republican Party likes to do, uh, when people are healthy, when people are, are, are doing well, mm -hmm. that helps our economy, that helps our entire country. Um, and it's interesting that, that you're mentioning that you guys table at the flea market. I'm assuming this is the Latin flea market. Mm -hmm. um, because the dynamics of the flea market are, are very interesting to see on how the South functions. There's a lot of Latinos oh, at yeah. that flea market. And there's also a lot of, uh, say, middle class or working class um, white folks. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of works and everybody's like, hey, amigo, and everybody's, you know, interchanging and everything. And people don't realize that we have a lot more in common with each other as working class people than, you know, the working class white Americans do with the top 10 or 1% of their <laughs> yeah. white race. You, you can watch it happen when we're out there, like people who are hostile towards us for being out there to talk about Medicare for all. Most people aren't that nice. Every now and then you get somebody that's like, fuck you and fuck everybody who wants right. anything, like that sort of thing. Uh, but um, they'll be hostile to us in part because undocumented immigrants benefit also from Medicare for all. And then they'll go just engage in normal behavior with everybody else who's there, right. you know, like without even wondering if anybody is documented or anything like this. It's just you just treat people as people. But like when it comes up specifically, then it's it's singling out. Yeah, you can see it weaponized. It's it's rough. Um, kind of related to this. Um, 
One thing that DSA um, has looked a lot at is in organizing for immigrant rights, there is, um, in America, it seems there's there's always a need to be engaging with the electoral system. This is where like the attention is. Mm -hmm. These are the people that ultimately draft and sign laws. We've seen um, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez be able to bring things that were completely outside of the Overton window into mainstream conversation yeah. like overnight. Um, but sometimes it seems like there can be a tendency to almost think that we can just vote our way out of America's like immigration woes. Right. When the concerning thing is that Trump is a monster, mm -hmm. um, but immigration hasn't been good before Trump. For decades. Yeah, like when we look at Obama, we see millions of people deported, millions mm -hmm. of families destroyed. There were studies done of what ICE was doing during uh, Barack Obama's presidency, like who they were arresting. Right. And aside from his last two years, they are just targeting really anybody. The vast majority of people are just people they pick up, you yeah. know. Um, uh, that's not to say, I mean, DSA isn't like on board with, yes, we want like strict border protection for people who have broken laws, but it just goes to show that ICE isn't who they say they are, whether it's a Democrat in office or a Republican in office. It's a completely autonomous uh, or operation and organization. Um, you know, it is kind of infuriating. Uh, I was at the breakfast and, and rally when uh, Joe Biden came to town mm -hmm. and uh, people have been talking about, you know, how Barack Obama and the Latino community is known as the deporter in chief. And people are like, well, that is, how is it possible? And people didn't hear about it in the news. Well, you might not have not heard it in English news, but we lived it every single day of our lives. Um, and, you know, when you mention about how it relates into this electorate and, and, and voting, um, I think people are tired. I'm tired of being used as a political token. Right. Um, we saw it in 2010 uh, as Bush was getting ready to obviously leave the White House and the new election cycle was, it was I'm sorry, in 2006. In 2006. And, um, you know, John McCain and, and Barack Obama were kind of, you know, rising up into, into the polls and Obama promised a lot of things for immigrants, um, and one of those was immigration reform within, you know, the first hundred days, and then first hundred days came about, and nothing happened. First year pushed it to two years, and then nothing happened. And then again, it became used as a token during his second uh, election cycle, and so he he won again, and he won the Latino vote, and again, nothing happened. Nothing happened until pretty much the very end of his presidency, where he. Uh, um, through executive action, granted DACA. Um, and, you know, he can say that it, it was done in hopes that Congress would act. Uh, but I think anybody who has been following politics, anybody who's been following immigration, knows that that was just kind of as a placeholder, uh, knowing very well that that could be taken away at any time by the following administration. And so right now, DACA is, you know, up in limbo. It's being taken up by the Supreme Court this fall. Uh, Trump has tried to rescind DACA multiple times um, and has failed at, you know, different court levels. Now it's made it to the Supreme Court and they're going to be able to decide whether it stays or uh, whether it gets removed. Uh, but when you really think about it, I think that was a really shitty thing to do. You know, you placed 1.2 million, 800,000 to 1.2 million uh, dreamers. Um, in this situation in which we have to go get our biometrics taken, we have to go get fingerprinted every two years, we have to update our address, we have to update the government of our every move, employment, education, addresses. Um, and recently, uh, there, there's been that fear that that is going to be used, you know, yeah. uh, against yeah. these 1.2 million people. And so people really do need to act, but people need to not fall into this ridiculous rhetoric of, I've done this, Joe Biden loves to say that he did a lot, uh, you know, in, in his time as vice president. But when you go to his website for 2020, he has a small, broad bullshit paragraph about immigration. Mm -hmm. And he has not responded to anything direct as to what he would do uh, for immigration reform. And so people need to pay attention to those things. You know, people are coming here to town and talking about politics and talking about immigration reform, talking about DACA, talking about the border kids. But what are their actual policies so far? I've really only heard two people go into detail, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg, into detail about um, what they would do to 
to fix this, you know, and in a broader sense, not just for another election cycle mm-hmm. and then just hopes Congress does something. Congress doesn't do shit these days, so. Right. Yeah, there was a, um, I, th- I saw it in 2018, but um, it could have been around longer for all I know. It was, it was like a meme that said to go out and vote because the Republicans are evil, but organize because the Democrats are evil. Right. <laughs> and um, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, but as I said earlier, like electoral politics can shine lights on things mm-hmm. if, if people of goodwill get in there. Um, and obviously an example of that would be the fact that America is now having a conversation about whether or not we have concentration camps because of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and right. others. She's probably been the most vocal on it, but... Um, and undoubtedly, we do have concentration camps. Absolutely. I mean, would you like to talk just a little bit about the conditions of these camps, and so we can? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hosted a rally, the Lights for Liberty vigil, and I was not allowed to use the term concentration camps. It was my first vigil, so I kind of bent the knee for that one. Um, but it, concentration camps, you know, people, Republicans are trying to say, oh, it, you know, it's offensive, and, and the Jews and the Holocaust. Well, I don't think it's offensive. Um, concentration camps weren't exclusive to the Holocaust. The Holocaust was a horrendous thing in our, you know, human history. And we're by no means comparing the two scenarios. Mm -hmm. But concentration camps are these places where people are held uh, for political reasons. And that is what is happening. Um, We are witnessing right now probably one of the most inhumane treatments and one of the most extreme attacks towards children um, that I can think of in American history. Thousands of children are being locked up uh, in cages, in warehouses with makeshift fences and giving little tiny blankets. The lights are kept on 24-7. They're separated from their families. And what people don't understand, it's not like there's, there's a concentration camp here for kids and then right next door is mom and dad. No, sometimes these are states away. Um, we've seen it twice happen now where the federal government has lost track of these children. They have no idea who they belong to. Um, these children are not anybody's kids. They're a number to the federal government. Mm -hmm. And so people are not paying close attention or enough attention to that. Um, for the longest time I was, I was part of the pro-life movement and I left it a while ago because I realized that they weren't really pro-life. They're anti-abortion. Uh, but then they're selective once that birth is given. Uh, and they're very, very quiet about these children. They're very quiet about brown children. And I saw people commenting on Facebook pro-lifers saying, well, people need to start referring to these kids as our kids because they're not our kids. And so here again is that Holy separation shit. of, you know, this is different. They're, they're less than us. Uh, and so the courts have ordered that these children need to be reunited. They need to find who they belong to. And the Trump administration has failed to do that. Um, The kids are getting very little medical treatment, if any at all. There's been seven deaths under this administration. And that's something that is pretty unprecedented. Uh, You know, you talk about Obama as the deporter in chief and and yes, people were being deported and and families uh, were suffering because of the raids. But at no time in our history have we seen children being treated like animals. Actually, I would say that in this country, animals are treated better um, than our migrant children are being treated right now. Because, you know, you see, you see a case where, where a dog is being mistreated and there's national outrage from everyone, you know, and, and, and all these organizations step in. But when are we going to do that for these kids? And it shouldn't just end at these vigils. It shouldn't just end at a protest outside of a detention center. We need to be busting our ass to make sure that the well-being of these kids is taken care of. Uh, at this point, the damage, the trauma that is going to uh, be with them for the rest of their lives is irreparable. I mean, there's nothing that we can do that will, you know, even when we set these kids free and we put them in a good home or even if we get them back to their families, the trauma that they're going to have to experience and live with for the rest of their lives. To see videos of children uh, telling their mom, you left me, you don't like me, you don't love me, it's heartbreaking. These are six-year-olds. They don't have a comprehension of what immigration is. 
we have four-year-olds facing judges. Yes, sitting before judges, like... Right. (laughs) What four-year-old is going to be able to legally speak for themselves? And so I think really what needs to happen is the world is also uh, staying silent and they need to unite. Uh, Sanctions the the same way that the United States places sanctions on other countries, those sanctions need to be placed on us. There's not to say that, you know, I hate America and and whatever, because I'm here and I do believe America uh, is a much better country than the one that I left. But I left my country because Americans decided to meddle in our political uh, atmosphere. And so they have destabilized the entire Latin American continent. And people don't understand that that's why we're we're coming to America. We're coming here because the U.S. government has meddled in one way or another in every little of these countries where we didn't ask anybody for anything. We're still meddling in them. Right. Yeah, any, anytime anything is not an American business interest, then, like, I mean, I mean, like, we were this close to war with Venezuela. Right. You know, I mean, not too long ago. Um so yeah, it's really it's really impactful. I'll, I'll give you an example. I this this tragedy in El Paso um, kind of hit home for me because I am from Ciudad Juarez, which is right across from El Paso. We're you know twin twin cities, uh, but two very different cities. Uh, and the people there, if you ever got to experience it, the people there are super loving, and everybody interacts. You go to Ciudad Juarez, you go to El Paso, back and forth. We used to go to every weekend in El Paso. We just like a ten minute walk from our house in Mexico. And then the war on drugs happened, and uh, you know Mexicans don't have a Second Amendment, and so all of these guns and all of this gun violence that's happening in Mexico and the war on drugs is because of the United States. And from one day to the next, we had to flee. We had to leave everything behind, my entire family. And we came here to Charleston, South Carolina. And a lot of people don't understand that we are willing to risk whatever it takes for the safety and well-being of our of our loved ones. Um, I think that if the United States had not meddled, we'd be doing fine. We might not have nearly half of what we have now, but we would be happy. You know, I don't think anybody chooses to to be miserable, to go to a place and be miserable, to be, go to a place and be ostracized, to go to a place and be called a rapist, to go to a place and, and just have to face all this scrutiny just because of our ethnicity. Yeah. To, to have no labor protections, right. you know, you know to, to uh, not be able to call the police, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a victim of abuse or something like, I mean. And that's where Americans need to step in um, because, you know, when asylum seekers were being held here at the Alcantara Detention Center earlier this year. Um, That is something that I uh, got to witness firsthand and that people don't know that they have these rights. You know, people don't know they have the right to an attorney. They don't know that they have right to to process. Um, And then people who are out in the community don't know about labor rights. You know, you hear about a lot of, you know, you hear Mexicans are very hardworking. They'll work all day out in the sun and blah, 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 blah. And a lot of them don't get overtime. They don't get, you know, medical benefits. And they can't tell anybody about that shit or then they're is like, you want me to call ICE? Right, yeah. basically. Yeah. And so uh, that's where Americans need to step in. And that is a call to action. You know, you might not be able to provide uh, citizenship for uh, a family, but you can speak up for them. You can fight for them. You know, you can uh, try to do everything in your power. Uh, it really upsets me when people say that they don't vote or when people say that they're voting um, for whoever. I mean, you do have the right to vote for whoever you want. And in the 2016 election, um, the line was that we're voting for the less of two evils. Um but then a lot of people voted third party. I think that, you know, early on in the elections, it's fine if you have a third party candidate. But I think by the time that we're two months away from the actual election, we know that it's narrowed down to two people. I mean, unless that third candidate is really, really strong and up there, then it's kind of excusable. But at this point, it's not, you know, when you, when you throw away a vote like that, people say, well, I have friends that are like, well, I voted, just not for Hillary or Donald Trump. Right. And I'm like, look, you know, the Democratic Party that you have now, you have 20, 20 candidates. If each one of them gets a million votes and Donald Trump gets two million votes, Donald Trump's going to take the White House. But if everybody rallies behind one candidate, and that's what the point of this election should be for many, many reasons, is that whether or not you, you want to vote or you, you agree or disagree with everything any specific candidate says, our goal needs to be to make sure Donald Trump does not get reelected. Yeah, step one has to be. Right. To make sure, yeah. I, uh, 
It was one of the low points in political life for me. I held my nose and I voted for Hillary Clinton last time, but it's just like, what else? It's are, a necessary yeah, evil. Yeah, what else are you going to do? Um, yeah, the the degree, uh, going back to the degree of like separation and being like to turn yourself off from just like normal human relations, like I'm a father. Mm -hmm. And so getting my kid to go to bed at night is sometimes really hard when my kid is sick or hurts himself it's like some of the the like my kid has a kidney condition some of the things that we've had to deal with that have been like some of the most like terrifying moments of my life bar none mm -hmm. the idea of walking with my child from central america to america being separated by militarized police not knowing where they are but knowing that they don't know where they are that they're scared that they don't have me i mean i just the ability for parents to just flip a switch and to right. not see that for what it is, it there like it, there shouldn't be a debate about calling these concentration no, camps. There really shouldn't. Yeah, we're, we're going to put in the description also a link to a YouTube video. There's a YouTuber named Three Arrows who does like sort of leftist history. Okay. Um, he recently put out a video talking about the usage of the word concentration camp. And he did two things that I thought were like really important. The first was to point out is that Dachau Auschwitz didn't start out as like death camps. Mm -hmm. You know, like like the Hitler doesn't come to power saying we are going to kill, you know, European right. Jewry. Like that's not you, you, that builds from a place. And he goes back and he looks at the first time that the term concentration camp was used in Germany and it was used for refugee camps for Jews who were fleeing from Eastern Europe. Hmm. They were fleeing persecution. And as they came into Germany, they were put into camps with terrible conditions. A lot right. of them were eerily similar to what we're seeing on the Southern border. Yeah. And there was even conversations of like uh, progressive politicians going through them and calling them out. And then uh, politicians on the right saying, this is just horseshit. The left is making up for its own political ends. And like, the conversation is really eerily similar. Yeah. Um, and it's another thing that's inexcusable at this point is we have access to all of this ourselves. Regardless of what side you want to stand on, you have the ability to find out for yourself exactly what is happening because all of the information is available. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about these concentration camps today where people are being denied toothbrushes, I mean, I, I saw a Trump administration attorney stand before a judge and they were making the case that these were not things that immigrants needed. They didn't need toothbrushes. They didn't need soap. They didn't need uh, sanitary conditions. And the judge was just, you know, mind blown that they were saying this, like basic hygiene um, can have detrimental effects on, on someone's health. Um, and then you look at, you know, the, the political stunts and PR stunts that people are making for political reasons. You saw Vice Pe uh, President Mike Pence and Lindsey Graham go to the border and they had a cute little setup and the children allegedly said that they were being treated really well and blah, blah, blah. Well, a couple of days later, that little setup was shut down. And so where did these, go? these kids go? They went back to the concentration camp living in horrific conditions, you know? So people want to make those stunts and people want to say, well, he went there and those kids seemed fine. Are you really that idiot, idiotic to think that something like that is not easily set up? You know, when you have seen firsthand all of these videos of people risking their lives on the river, uh, crossing the border, you have heard from border agents talk about how difficult these conditions are. You know, some of these places are desert. So it's like the extreme conditions. Um, and then you have people, activists who are trying to just provide water for people of survival <laughs> who are, going who are to, being persecuted. Yeah, maybe going to jail for this. Yeah. yeah. Like what? Yeah. It, the, yeah. The, that nonchalant attitude is like the second thing that he points out is just in, in the video, the three arrows videos, he just points out like a lot of people who participated in Nazi atrocities. I mean, the, even people who are like working in Auschwitz, like are people who didn't think of what they were doing as like fascism and genocidal. They didn't think in those terms. They thought that they were dealing with uh, people who were coming in to undermine their culture, to take their jobs, you know, to like threaten like Western white European wow. dominance and things like this. And when you can 
see these camps on the southern border, when you can listen to the rhetoric coming out of this administration, when we have things like what just happened in El Paso, and none of those pieces get put together, and you still just sort of are okay with the fact that there are families getting separated, and even individuals who don't have families just being thrown into spaces like limbo, political limbo. And it's not like ICE you know, detainment facilities are known for being safe spaces for people who are in those facilities. It's incredibly dangerous the entire time you're in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's terrifying how much, like how easy, we're getting to see in real time how easy it is to move in that like darker direction. Yeah. And what's surprising too from conservatives um, is that they're call themselves the party of traditional family values. And I can honestly tell you that there is no culture that probably has the most deeply rooted traditional family values than Latinos do. I mean, you do what you do. Your family is your family is your family is your family. And to see this party kind of just tear that shit up is mind boggling because you're like, what, what kind of disconnect do you have in your mind? You know, and I think it's a clear indication uh, that white supremacy is very much alive. You know, when you have people in power, uh, when you have white people in power, white men in power who want to say, oh, traditional family values and our kids and blah, blah, blah. It's just not brown kids. Yeah. And just not black kids, and right. just not Muslim kids, or gay kids, or, right? Like, yeah, like what? That that is literally the definition of like you're 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 a racist, you're a white supremacist. Yeah. Like you think you are the superior being. Yeah. You're really just saying white people, right? <laughs> without without saying that, and I think that's something that this administration is really good at saying. Um, Trump. There's a video of him at a rally, and and he's talking about you know what should we do with immigrants? And someone in the crowd yells, "You shoot them." And he just laughs it off. And he didn't say that he would shoot them or that that's what he would do. But also by not saying anything laughing and then just carrying it out as, oh, that's something that you can only get away with in the panhandle. You know, you're just leaving this open door mm-hmm. for the El Paso shooter. You're leaving the open door for people of color uh, to continue to get shot. And, you know, hate crimes have increased dramatically since his administration. Um, people don't understand the amount of anxiety that people have to live through just because now we are hyper aware that we are a minority. We are people of color and we are a disadvantage. And that's not to say that we distrust white people. That is not to say that we don't have trust in our police forces. Um, but I bet your ass that when you see a cop, it crosses your mind as a person of color. Is this a good cop or is this cop going to be blinded by just, you know, they're human beings at the end of the day. Are they going to be blinded by this hateful rhetoric and buy into it and not see me as another hardworking member of his community. And with a lot of the sort of like social media revelations we've seen from ICE officers and police officers across the country, I mean, there's just a really good chance. I mean, like, right. You know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And maybe that's a good segue into talking about Sheriff Al Cannon and the Al Cannon detention center here. So um, we talk about these concentration camps as being on the border. um, But, the Trump administration is doing everything in its power to prevent asylum seekers from claiming asylum. I mean, so much as like Correct. having, uh, you know, border patrol not let them come in to official ports of entry. Right. And then when they try to cross over, just arresting them. Um, and Charleston has seen a massive influx in our own, in Charleston County itself, of hundreds of asylum seekers. Uh, maybe you could talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So currently the Alcannon Detention Center says that they are not hosting any asylum seekers. Um, and so not that I'm aware of that there's an influx there at the moment, but there was at the beginning of the year where hundreds of asylum seekers were quietly transported to the Alcannon Detention Center. Now for years, the Alcannon Detention Center has served um, kind of as a, as a leasing facility uh, for immigration operations. Mm-hmm. So people, undocumented immigrants who you know commit a traffic violation, they run a red light or maybe they were stopped for speeding. Um, you know, they might not have a, a, a driver's license, a valid driver's license, or for whatever reason, they ended up getting booked at the detention center for the night. And well, now overnight, the ICE officials have put a hold on them. 
So they might pay their bond, you know, to the county or to the city, um, but immigration has a hold on them. And Alcanon works with ICE mm-hmm. um, uh, for financial reasons. You know, ICE operations give him money and funds yeah, to they, they to rent out house. beds and stuff right yeah, exactly sure. and and to my understanding they're only supposed to hold people for 48 hours and that's how much time ice is supposed to have to come in and do their thing and whatever but i know firsthand of people who have been in there for more than 48 hours more than 72 hours still on an immigration hold um and people don't hear about these things you know when you go online and you google ice in charleston like you're not going to find that they have a training facility here uh in our own backyard mm-hmm. you're not going to find that the alcan detention center is the leasing facility for uh you know customs border patrol um people don't think about border patrol cars here here in our in our own city but the fact of the matter is that there are uh uccvp cars you know riding around on our highways near the airport um, and so it's really a, a, an autonomous organization that has so much power and within that power, uh, have the power to not say anything. So there's literally no information unless somebody digs it up and is able to confront them about it. Um, and that's what happened when the couple hundred asylum seekers came here from the border. Uh, somebody got tipped off and Mimaletin, who is a nonprofit organization helping um, asylum seekers and providing pro bono legal services uh, came into Charleston, started that the Charleston project, uh, which I was a part of and translating for people and just trying to get as many of these people uh, to know their rights, just to know their rights so they could have a chance at making their case. And it's really heartbreaking to see what these people are facing, why they came here. Um, I talked with so many people and, and, and one of the stories that uh, stuck out with me was this guy who was telling me uh, he was uh, um, shot at and stabbed not once, not twice, but three times in his home country. And the attorney said, well, how, you know, what do you have to prove? And he lifted up his shirt and he had these like very gruesome scars all over his body. I mean, it wasn't just like once or twice, about half an inch. These were big scars throughout his body. And so literally just fleeing for his life. Um, Another case, uh, it was a gay man. And in Latin America, the machismo is very much Mm -hmm. alive. So, you know, you don't don't get to be out and free uh, for most of Latin America. And he was a taxi driver, Uber driver. And uh, some of his passengers, I guess through conversation, whatever, they kept picking at it and found out or got the idea that he was he was gay and they beat him up. And so in Central American countries, these are very small countries where word spreads very quickly to the point where he was being threatened with his life. Um, and now you come to the United States and you have protections, you know, religious prosecu- persecution, um, you know, race, gender identity, etc. And these are grounds to seek asylum in the United States. Um, and people, I had someone message me over the last 24 hours and tell me, well, they're coming through other countries first. They should seek asylum there because that's what they should do. And like the U.S. doesn't get to dictate what happens in other countries. If someone wants to come to the United States and seek asylum here, they can do so legally. They can do so once they're in the United States and they can be free. That's the, the way that the law is currently laid out is that way. I mean, if the administration wants to change it, they have to go through that entire process to change it. And they've been trying to do so um, illegally. They obviously have set up these concentration camps. They have demanded that Mexico take all of these mm-hmm. asylum uh, seekers and host them in, in Mexico while their cases are being processed. But that's infringing on on the current law that exists. Um, and so people were very shocked to find out that we had, uh, you know, some ICE operation here. And ever since then, uh, there are what... ICE has released a statement and says they have ICE operations every day. Uh, you know, whether or not they want to call it raids, mm-hmm. they are in our communities. The Trump administration released a list of 10 cities where they were going to start raids uh, and go after 2,000 people. And that was pretty much a distraction um, because I saw an influx of messages from people telling me, I saw immigration here, I saw immigration here. These were workplaces out in the Sea Islands, these were in North Charleston. 
And I couldn't confirm it because I can't just call ICE and be like, hey, did you guys conduct a raid? And they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, we did at 743 um, until someone was able to film it. And then they were they released the statement that they have ICE operations every day. And today we saw the largest raid in over 10 years happen in Mississippi. 680 people were arrested at um, seven different labor uh, operations. And I think these were most, mostly, you know, farm workers. So you think about Mississippi, think about South Carolina. We're not too far from Mississippi uh, and we're not too far behind in terms of education and economic, you know, progressiveness, if you want to say that. But Mississippi ranks 48 in economy, 46 in education. You don't think that 680 people that were working in, you know, uh, chicken processing plants or whatever the case might be is going to have a negative effect on their economy. It does. And that's what I don't understand why Republicans and conservatives in our own communities understand. You know, if, if you want to push this hateful rhetoric of send everyone back to their countries, don't accept, accept asylum seekers here in Charleston. Don't accept immigrants. Don't give them the right to work. Uh, don't grant them citizenship. Our entire state economy, which has been doing better over the last couple of years, would go back down the shithole. You know, we couldn't have a progressive Charleston with nice, beautiful buildings. We couldn't have all of these beautiful suburban neighborhoods that have been sprawling and booming because those are jobs that pay very, very well. And I know that firsthand because I work in the construction field as my eight to five job and Americans are not willing to fill those jobs. So the jobs are there. The job market is open for anybody to come and apply for a job, get a job, go put, you know, some, some roofing, some shingles, some framing. The fact of the matter is you're not willing to do it for even $20 an hour. And so you want to send everybody back. Who's going to build these homes? Are you going to build it? You're probably going to ask for, you know, $40, $60 an hour, what you think is quote unquote fair. And then on top of that, you're going to demand that your employer provide you some kind of healthcare benefit, which a lot of these immigrants are not getting. Um, so yeah, it sucks. And it's really, it's really heartbreaking to see people that you've grown up with in the community that know you, that all of a sudden have taken on this hateful ideology just because of they only watch Fox News. Right. Yeah, God, I, my, my parents-in-law, it's a whole thing. You watch it in, in real time. Like, things have gone from bad to just, like, bat shit, in, like, in the past yeah. couple of years, just with the how easy it is to uh, accept. I mean, like, somebody who is, like, the most, like, if you can't listen to Donald Trump talk for 20 seconds and be like, oh, shit, I totally shouldn't listen to anything this guy says, then, like, your bullshit detectors are Right, like bottom of the barrel, you know. Um, I think that this is maybe a good chunk of stuff um, to talk about, but um, before we call it, um, would you like to talk a little bit about um, what efforts going forward might look like, um, yeah. what you might be involved in, what you'd like to see other people involved in if they want to act constructively, you know, instead of just coming out to the rally and being, you know, like angry and sad together, which is important and we should do that, but yeah. to continue acting after that, um, what sort of things could people be keeping an eye on? Yeah. Um, it's important to, to talk about also, you know, race. You can't necessarily just talk about immigration and not talk about race. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about either white supremacy or white guilt, um, or privilege, uh, people need to understand that people like myself and other activists and immigrants, we are not anti-white. We're not anti-American you know, American society. Uh, but what we are saying is that you are at a place of privilege. Out of all the things that are happening in the world, I don't think you feel threatened for being a white person. Someone messaged me and said that they're sick and tired of, of, of being uh, assumed a racist because they're a white male. And I'm like, do you think that I assume that I'm a rapist and a criminal just because I'm a Mexican and the president said it? Like, no. You know, if the shoe fits, then by all means, you make your own deductions. And maybe be worried about dismantling white supremacy instead of being worried about being called a racist. Right. You know? um, one of the things that I said in my vigil, you know, environmentalism is important. 
And people always try to get me to go to environmentalist, you know, causes and organizations. And that's great and all, and I'd love to do that. But that's not, you know, that's not my battle to fight right now. Right now I'm, I'm battling survival of human beings. And so not everybody can, can, can fight the same battle. So if white people, the, the greatest obstacle, the greatest hurdle that you have right now is in, in the environment, then you're doing just fine. You know, keep recycling, keep doing your thing, but don't undermine the work that we are doing. And also don't feel attacked. You know, when, when, when we talk about white supremacy, we understand that it doesn't mean everyone. But I'm not going to stand here at every event that I talk about or anybody that talks about immigration and say, with the exception of you, you, you know, that would take forever. So it's just use your fucking brain and know that, you know, if, if you're a good person, you're a good person, period, and you're probably doing the right thing. You're engaging with immigrants and you're trying to reach out to see how you can help. And that's what we also need to do uh, is to empower Americans to be able to help immigrants, but without undermining, um, you know, the, the, the efforts that are being made. So people right now have been reaching out and they're saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I've been trying to think for weeks, you know, how can I best make something out of this? Um, and I think that is for our Americans and our, and our white counterparts to really take charge of some kind of program or action that is not going to undermine the lives of immigrants and the, the, the struggle that immigrants are living. And so um, a couple of people reached out to me and invited me to one of, uh, one of the meetings for Charleston Immigration Coalition which I am now a part of. And we've gotten together to brainstorm different things and different ideas and different events. And we've been putting on uh, different uh, forms and workshops to empower immigrants. And we're working on something to empower the American people, to empower those people that are able to vote, to empower U.S. citizens to make a difference. You know, if you really care, if you're if you were crying at my vigil or if you're crying in front of your TV because you saw these children and the next day you woke up and you went with your kids to Disney, land and you thought that was it no like there's something that you can do and so what we're trying to do and what i'm trying to push for is a rapid response team where if we see any immigration rate or, or immigrants in our local communities being taken advantage of uh, that you can do something we saw it in tennessee a couple of weeks ago where americans um neighbors mm -hmm. uh you know, the ICE immigration official showed up to to a neighbor's house and the neighbors gathered, rallied very, very quickly. Yeah, that was an incredible thing to right. read about. They were in the, they were in the, it was like a man and his son, I think, like 12 year old boy sitting in a van, ICE comes and says, hey, we have an administrative warrant to get out so we can arrest you. Mm -hmm. And then a neighbor showed up and was like, don't listen to them. You don't have to. This warrant is bullshit. And then like other neighbors started coming over and just surrounded it was like an, an incredible thing to see. Right. And so that's what people can do. And I think people realize also, you know, like when you get, as a white person, you have so much power in these situations of authority because, you know, how many times have we read on the news that a white man or a white woman got aggressively beaten just because they were white by an officer, whether it be. Mm -hmm nice officer or police officer like you don't hear about it and that's not to say that it hasn't happened maybe once or twice uh but again these aboutisms and what ifs and you know little different scenarios um are what gets you sidetracked into thinking that oh man this also happens to white people so i can ignore right so ignore. i can disregard yeah. everything no that's not to say that only immigrants lives are are important and this is the only thing that we're fighting for um but understand that at that by that point in time, you have the power to speak up just for being a U.S. citizen. Um, you can stop, you know, that that officer by telling whoever that they have rights, they have the right to remain silent, they have the right to an attorney. These are basic things that probably everyone who went to uh, middle school here in America knows. Uh, you know, and those those are very basic things that immigrants don't know because they didn't go through education system here necessarily. Um, or they might be having, you know, been brainwashed in a way to think that they don't have those rights because they are immigrants. And, you know, to hear this rhetoric every day, at some point it does take a toll. You start to, like, doubt and question your own, like, humanity. You know, you're like, well, maybe I do deserve it. Maybe this is the way that it is. And it's not. It's not the way that it is. It's not the way that it should be. It's not who we are as Americans. Immigrants come here because we have a belief that this is the greatest country on the face of the planet. 
and people always tell me that they disagree. Um, you know, my, my progressive leftist friends always tell me that I don't think this is the greatest country on the face of the planet. Um, and maybe that is opinion-based. But to tell you that those of us who come from a third world country can tell you that we are, we're willing to sacrifice so much to be here. Um, and we are continuing to sacrifice so much to stay here and to continue to make this country better and to continue to make it being one of the greatest countries. And so it breaks my heart, it breaks our hearts to see it slowly start to crumble the way that our own countries did. We've already gone through this once, if we're here. We don't want to see that happen with America. That's how much we care about this country. That's how much we care about being part of this society. Um, and I can tell you that when people are talking about citizenship, right now in the, in the place that I am personally, I don't have the right to vote. I don't have the right uh, for federal aid or whatever. And that's fine. You know, if I had to pay $200 into taxes every freaking week uh, and not have the right to vote, then, you know, I'm better off than being sent back to my home country and probably being murdered. Um, you know, so it, it's kind of like you put this in ways and people are like, well, maybe that's extreme. And I'm like, no, these, this is reality for us, you know, um, now that I am educated and I know that, this is, you know, I'm being taxed without being represented. I am paying so much into the system and the political system for literally nothing in return other than being able to to work and contribute. And it doesn't even grant me the security that I can stay here. Like that can be taken away at any point. Um, you know, those are the things that, that Americans have to think about and also feel empowered. And you can empathize, sympathize, and and do more and post on social media. But if you don't take any action outside of something that made you feel good, you shouldn't do this because it makes you feel good. You should do this because you believe in humanity, you believe in other people, um, and you believe in this country. All right. Well, um, thank you so much, Fernando, for coming on Renegade Paradise. Thank you for having me. Um, we will make sure to um, share with our audience and DSA can share with um, our membership and our following on social media as well. Anything that the Charleston Immigration Coalition going forward would like to see from people will help spread the word. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love that. And, um, you know, maybe we'll have you back and talk further down the road. Maybe something good will happen. Hopefully. Together we can make it happen. Right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Victims of oppression for the tyrants, be your might. Don't cling so hard to your possessions, for you have nothing if you have no rights. Let racist ignorance be ended, for respect makes the empire's fall. Freedom is merely privilege extended, unless enjoyed.
before the 